Section 14 of The New York Gardener. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Marianne. The New York Gardener by P. Agricola. Section 14. August. My dear son, the analogy between plants and animals, in most parts of their organization, justifies the belief that the former, like the latter, have their peculiar wants and appendices, and in order to be a successful agriculturalist, or gardener, you must make yourself intimately acquainted with everything relative to the vegetable economy. Their phytology and general structure are studies of great importance, their peculiar and varied habits must not be neglected, and to learn their appendices and their loves is not only a curious, but a very useful inquiry but most of all it should be your aim to find out the method of supplying your cultivated plants with an abundance of suitable food at the least possible expense these vegetables are organized bodies perfect in the soil from whence they derive nutrition and where all their various properties are developed and their numerous species propagated plants resemble animals in many respects and are truly considered only as an inferior grade of animated nature yet in one particular they differ materially. All animals with which we are acquainted have a stomach, or alimentary canal, where their food is digested and prepared for nutrition before it is absorbed into the circulation and becomes a part of the animal. But vegetables have no such organ. Their food is elaborated for them in the earth, and their roots are so formed as to take it up and transmit it with the sap, through all their system of arteries and veins, like the lacteal vessels in animal bodies the radical mouths absorb with different degrees of vital energy as in the animal kingdom so in the vegetable some are very strong feeders and surprisingly voracious and by means of this faculty do absolutely starve all other plants in their vicinity besides every vegetable like every animal has its peculiar appetite or liking and is nourished and supported in health by different qualities to be found in the earth if you want evidence of this fact place a young tree where an old one of the same kind has lately stood and you will invariably find that it will not thrive if it lives the first and second year it will perish soon afterwards and evidently for want of food the old tree having exhausted the earth of all nutriment suitable for that kind of tree and as the roots of the young tree are short it can draw no supply from a distance and notwithstanding all the care you may bestow upon it, it dies with hunger. But if the transplanted tree be of a species quite distinct from the old one, it will flourish as well as if none had grown there before. It would perhaps be a waste of time to examine the various and contradictory theories respecting the food of plants, a subject which will, perhaps, be forever involved in mystery, nor could you derive the smallest benefit from such discussions although you may never be able to ascertain which of the elements contributes most to the food of plants yet small experience and trifling observation will satisfy you that if your land is drained of all superfluous moisture if it is suitably manured and sufficiently cultivated the productive powers of the earth will furnish an abundant supply of food for all your vegetable family in all your operations keep these fundamental principles in view for with one or the other of them every part of rural economy is more or less connected beans and peas of an early kind are now ripe 
whenever any of your plants during the warmth of summer arrive at maturity let them be removed as soon as possible and immediately put the ground into a complete state of summer fallow let every part be turned over with the plough or spade make it fine and give it every benefit from the sun and air at this season weeds are destroyed with the greatest ease and the earth at the same time rendered fertile by the tillage cucumbers now yield abundance of fruit select a few of the fairest for seed and take off the others as they advance they should be cut not pulled off every third day the vines should be examined by some careful hand who should be charged not to tread upon the runners or displace the leaves turnips it is a great misfortune that the cultivation of this root upon old ground should be so little practised or understood by farmers in general their excellence for culinary use is admitted by every one yet most men are discouraged and give up all attempts to raise them as a fruitless waste of time and expense i have tried says one several times and failed as often my land will not produce turnips says another a third asserts that turnips are good for nothing unless grown upon new ground now all these farmers are quite mistaken and i hope you will convince them of their error by your success turnips can be raised upon any land which would produce indian corn but then you must understand their wants and the nature of those enemies with which you will have to contend and here experience and observation will furnish the most useful lessons the turnip system in all its details requires practical knowledge as much at least as any other branch of husbandry and to obtain information from this unerring source it is not necessary that you should risk much or go to great expense select a small spot say only one-fourth of an acre let it be near the dwelling-house that you may have it every day under your eye if the land is poor no matter let it be free from stumps or stones and make it rich with the treasures of the barnyard and with tillage agreeable to my former directions in two or three days after the seed is skilfully sown if the weather is favorable you will see the plants begin to emerge from the soil observe now if the flea pounces upon them for this is the time when they are in the greatest danger from that hungry insect which frequently destroys every plant before the inattentive farmer knows that they are out of the ground if their numbers are great and you see them briskly hopping from plant to plant i know of no means in your power to employ that will prevent their ravage a seasonable and copious shower will sometimes destroy these vermin and save your crop however if this fortunate occurrence should not happen and your plants are swept away wait until the first week in august then break up your ground anew and sow again as before by this time you may expect a plentiful rain which of all things is the most fatal to these insects and as the nights are lengthening they have less time to feed for they make their destructive repast only in the daytime without strong light they move but little and seem unable to find the object of their desire your plants will thus escape from wounds and grow rapidly as soon as the rough leaf is fairly formed examine the whole plantation and if in any place they stand in clusters pull up and destroy the superfluous plants then or soon after take them row by row and extirpate every weed that may have sprung up at the same time thin the plants sparing the most vigorous so that they all stand eight to ten inches apart when these have fixed themselves well in the soil and the leaves begin to spread over the surface if your crop was planted in drills introduce a tight one-horse plough and take a slice from each side of the row and throw it from the turnips 
after a few days when the weeds have perished again introduce the plough and turn the soil towards them the oftener this operation is repeated the more thrifty your plants will grow for frequent stirring of the ground is the life of turnips it not only destroys all weeds that might spring up to starve and impoverish them but it disturbs and prevents the ravages of slugs and other insects by breaking and mixing and pulverizing the soil the young roots are enabled to spread with ease and to imbibe and store up abundantly if your crop was sown broadcast you must stir the soil and kill the weeds with the hoe taking care to separate the plants a foot apart for if they are permitted to stand thicker than this the tops may be large standing upright but the bulbs will be proportionably small celery earth up celery as it advances in growth but be careful to avoid covering the hearts of the plants this work should always be done on a dry day lay up the stalks neatly without injuring them for if bruised they will become moldy and subject to rot current wine a kind and beneficent providence has fitted our soil and climate for the production of all the necessities and many of the luxuries of life and it will be your own fault if you do not enjoy them in abundance your orchard should produce the daily beverage upon your table while the shrubs of your garden supply the friendly treat or furnish the cordial draught in cases of sickness or debility foreign wines not only drain the pocket but are invariably hurtful to the health of those who use them as usually sold by our merchants they are a base admixture and should never be allowed a place upon your board but to currant and gooseberry wine there is no such objection it is pure and as pleasant as madeira and may be made of the best quality for less than forty cents per gallon there are several modes of making currant wine i will give you three of them first when your currants are fully ripe let them be picked in fair weather and with as much expedition as possible to every gallon of berries add as much cold water bruise and break them well in the water then strain out the liqueur and measure it with accuracy and to each gallon put two pound and three-fourths of good brown sugar stir and carefully unite the whole together then fill your cask nearly full and put a piece of leather with a small weight upon it over the bung when the wine has settled and ceased to ferment close the cask as tight as possible the following recipe is preferred by some persons collect your currants as above mash them effectually and strain the juice through a woolen cloth measure it and to every gallon of pure currant juice add two gallons of cold water then to every gallon of this mixture immediately put three pounds of good brown sugar and when the whole is well united fill up the cask but it should not be so full as to work over this would injure the liqueur then cover the bung and close the cask as in the former receipt if your cask is new and strong the wine may remain upon the lees and be drawn when wanted but it is usually thought best early in the spring to draw it carefully from the sediment and put it into bottles these should be well corked and laid away upon their sides in some cool and secure part of the cellar here it should rest until wanted and like all other wines will be found to improve with age remember every part of this process must be done with neatness the cask must be good and clean or the flavor of your liqueur will be spoiled if you purpose to make thirty gallons agreeable to this recipe you will require eight gallons of juice sixteen of water and seventy-two pounds of sugar a large proportion of the wine used in great britain is what they call made wine by the following recipe they make a liqueur which is fashionable and much relished 
and is retailed by the name of English Champagne. To three gallons of water, put nine pounds of brown sugar of the best quality. Boil the water and sugar half an hour, skim it clean, then take a gallon of ripe currants, clean picked but not bruised. Pour the liquor, boiling hot upon them, and when cold, add half a pint of yeast. Let it ferment two days, then strain it through flannel and put it away into a clean cask, with half an ounce of ichthy ocala shredded fine. When the fermentation subsides, cork it closed for a month, then decant it from the lees and put it into bottles, and in every bottle put a small lump of refined sugar. Lay them carefully away, and in a year they will be found to contain an excellent wine and of a beautiful color. Gooseberries flourish extremely well in this state. The fruit is fine, and you may with the utmost faculty have any quantity you please. By the following recipe you will make an excellent white wine. Gooseberry Wine Take gooseberries when they are just beginning to turn ripe. Bruise them well, but not so as to break their seeds. Pour into every eight pounds of pulp a gallon of water, and let them stand in the vessel covered, in a cool place, twenty-four hours. Then put them into a strong canvas or hair bag. Press out all the juice that will run from them, and to every quart of it put twelve ounces of loaf sugar, stirring it about till it be melted. Then put it up in a well-seasoned cask, and set it in a cool place. When it has purged and settled about twenty or thirty days, fill the vessel full, and bunge it down close. When it is well worked and settled, draw it off into bottles, and keep them in a cool place. N.B. Currants or gooseberries should be pressed out if possible the same day they are gathered. This will add much to the fineness, and give flavor to the wine. In picking the berries, take none that lie upon the ground, or that have grown in the shade and become sour. I am, etc., P. Agricola. End of section 14